Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umar Rusanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. I'm just, uh, you know, out of voice. I'm just very grateful to God. Um, no, it's been a long journey. I've gone through a lot, but finally, God has really, you know, um, done it for me, and I'm very grateful to God. Jomoro Member of Parliament Dorcas Afotofe wins election petition against her relating to her citizenship before election 2020. What does that mean to the permutations of the NDC in the hung parliament? Also, coming up. Appealing to government, we've gone to the minister several times to realize that it is beyond the minister. We realize clearly that she's doing everything possible to restore the food that we like. We're still sitting on a time bomb as I speak to you, right? They will come to Accra. If they hit the streets of Accra, I mean, you know, the, the, the city will come to us. That's our number. Fishermen in Ghana's fishing communities to stage a massive protest against government over months of premixed fuel. Shortage And later on Eyewitness News, the strike by Colleges of Education Teachers Association enters week two. will be doing an assessment of the situation so far and ask what is next. And in business? Institute of Economic Affairs backs growing demand for review of electronic transfer levy in the 2023 budget presentation. That's in 50 minutes with Michael Ogbodu of the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including in the Upper West region on Tumpani Radio 88.5 FM in Nadoli. In the Upper East region, we are on Rikas 92.1 FM in Bongo Namu. If you go to the Northern region, we are live on North Star Radio via 90, 92.1 FM in Tamale. In the Northeast region, we are live on Nobia FM 98.1 in Nalerugo. In the western region, we are on Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi. In the Ashanti region, we are live on Focus 94.3 FM on the campus of the KNUST in Komasi. We are also live on Orange 107.9 FM, also situated in Komasi. If you go to the Volta region, we are on Sela Radio 97.1 FM in Dabala and Holy 98.5 FM in Aplau. Do send us your reactions by message on WhatsApp 0549-986-996. Let me also say we are live on Facebook via CTFM's Facebook handle, which is City973. Let us know what you think by putting your comments under the live stream, and the world will hear what you think. But first, we start from the western region and there is a big win for the opposition national democratic congress a case that would have tipped the balance in parliament there is victory for the candidate who was petitioned against and tell us more 
The High Court in 2nd D in the Western Region has dismissed a petition challenging the eligibility of the Member of Parliament for Jomoro, Dokas Afutofe. This, the petitioner, Joshua Imwakufi, wanted the courts to determine that the MP was an Ivorian at the time of filing her nomination to contest in the 2020 general election. However, the presiding judge, Dr. Richmond Osehre, dismissed the petition on grounds that Doka Safutofe lost her Ivorian citizenship when she acquired a Ghanaian citizenship. Her lawyer, Eduji Tamaklu, spoke to Umar Sandamadu just before coming on air. Essentially, the ruling of the court is that the petition filed by the petitioner found dismissed on grounds that the sole legal issue for determination, which is whether or not the first respondent has renounced the Ivorian issue, um, Ivorian nationality, a, a burden of proof that the petitioner carried was not discharged, and that the first respondent, that is my client, was able to discharge that evidential burden that was on her. And so on the totality of the matters before the court, it was a considered view of the Leonard Trajan that the, the, the entire petition must be and same was the We are told in establishing your case, you had to travel to Ivory Coast and rely on their law. Walk us through what you did with that. Okay, so what happened was that the judge gave us direction that we should file our witness So then in the first instance, I had filed a witness statement, so my client was to testify by herself and an expert witness. At the very last minute, uh, for some unforeseen reason, the said expert could not come to Ghana. And so that had to get me to travel to Ivory Coast um, to go get um, another um, lawyer who has practiced for almost 16 years. And um, we got um, the expert's opinion from the said uh, lawyer. And so we filed a motion subsequently to substitute previous uh, witness statement from the previous expert. And the courts granted the said uh, motion and we substituted with a new uh, witness statement from um, other aspects. So eventually, when the case was next called, presented this expert witness. What is instructed is that the opinion of this expert witness was subjected to cross examination by lawyers for the petitioner for one hour. At the end of the day, the court took the view that by the petitioner's lawyer, they sought to ask to a question the credibility or qualification of the said expert witness. The court said that was unsatisfactory. They also sought to put a different interpretation on the said Article 48 of the Ivorian Nationality Code. The court said it is not in the place of a lawyer to testify. As, you know, foreign law is a question of facts. And so, if they were minded, they could have gotten an expert to provide a contrary 
position of the Ivorian law. In the absence of that, the court felt that they could not discharge their responsibility that was cast on them. So explain to us how we are told that the judge's determination was solely based on Ivorian law and not Ghanaian law. Because they have shifted that by reason of Article 94, she owe allegiance to a country other than Ghana. So the question of Ghana or her Ghanaianess was not in doubt. What was in doubt as far as the petitioner was concerned had to do with the fact that they had, you know, influence. Now, let me also make this point. Now, if you look at the petition itself, in the petition, they allege that she was also an American citizen, all because they are still a green card. But a green card holder is not <laughs> a citizen. I don't know if you, you get the point that I'm making. Mm. Aha. So they assume that once she had a green card, it means that she's automatically American. You notice that when the case itself was called, they abandoned the case of the American citizenship and now focused solely on the Ivorian issue. And that we brought the expert from Ivory Coast, a lawyer of many years standing at the bar who came to testify. And the court, in its judgment, rightly so, said that I have no business to reject the views expressed by the said expert. Mm. So in, in, in summation, what did the court say in relation to whether or not he filed to this to, to no more become an Ivorian before or during or after registering to be a member of parliament in Ghana? The, how did the, the judge, court, the, how did the the court judge said, interpret that? The court, the court said it has received without objection a letter written by her on the 24th day of January. 2019, which letter was received and stamped by Ivorian authorities. In fact, the court actually said that if the petitioners felt that that letter was doubtful, what they ought to have done is to bring somebody from the Ivorian um, uh, Ministry of Justice or whatsoever to come and, as it were, prove otherwise. And why they were not able to do that, the court, being an adversarial system, cannot appear to now do the work for an adversary. Yeah. Okay, there's another leg to the argument where we are told that your client also possessed two birth certificates, which we are even told bothers on criminality. What happens to that particular case? Yeah. You know, after it became obvious that the issue of the Ivorian nationality had failed. Then they decided to introduce the said red herring into it. In the view of the court, that was completely red herring, completely irrelevant to the resolution of the matter that had. Explain that. If, 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 if they, because you see, if they were minded, what you do is that you amend the petition and raise those issues. That was not that. It was at the tail end that they sought to introduce those matters. They themselves acknowledge that she's a Ghanaian. They themselves. They acknowledge that she's a Ghanaian. 
In fact, their contention is that she is a Ghanaian plus another country. Mm. Let me tap into your political heart now briefly, even though you can also wear the legal heart. There are other cases in court in relation to nationality or citizenship. Would this case have any bearing on those cases at all? The only one that I know which is pending now is the Asinov one, and that's at the Supreme Court. And quite clearly, the Supreme Court stands as the boss in all of this. You understand? And remember that the Asinov case, the one that was determined by the High Court, was summarily determined. It was not one that was determined by calling witnesses. No. It was summary. They got to the view that he has seen enough documents and that with those documents, it is enough for him to conclude. This one, witnesses were called. Their testimony subjected to cross-examination. I had the opportunity of cross-examining the petitioner. The petitioner's lawyer had the benefit of also cross-examining the first respondent, that is my client, and the lawyer who came as an expert witness. You will notice that that is not the case related to the acting of matter. So you may say that there are two different uh, issues altogether. So that's uh, lead counsel for uh, the member of parliament for Jomoro, Dorcas Afotofi, who won her case today in court that election petition brought against her victory, which bordered on her nationality as of the time she ran for office. Uh, she spoke to us briefly after the court's decision. Let's listen to her. I'm just, uh, you know, out of voice. I'm just very grateful to God. Um, no, it's been a long journey. I've gone through a lot, but finally, God has really, you know, um, done it for me, and I'm very grateful to God and everybody that has been very supportive, especially uh, Adichie and also the lawyer from Ivory Coast, my uh, chairman, the regional chairman, everybody. I mean, they've been very supportive. Of course, my family, my daughter was here today. So I'm very, very grateful to God. God has been good to me. It has not been easy, but God is been good. That's Honorable Af- uh, Doc Azafotofi, Member of Parliament for Jomoro, uh, who has won that case. And he was commending the Eduji Kujo Tamaklo, whom we spoke to a short while ago. Let's hear from the lawyer on the other side now, who is chairman of the MPP Legal Committee, Frank Davis. So what our focus was, was Ivorian law as to loss of citizenship or renunciation of citizenship. In any event, in any event, a criminal offense is a criminal offense. If you forge a past to acquire a Ghanaian past, if one person you claim you were born in 1971 in Abidjan, you claim you were born in 1972 in Ghana, you claim you were born in somewhere, that is a matter for the criminal justice system. I am not here to comment on that one. But obviously, there's clear indication that this woman has acquired a Ghanaian passport.
and in consultation with the government. So for now, there is no rush to say that I'm going to appeal or not appeal. I listen to the judge thoroughly, but of course, it is imperative that we apply with transcripts of the judgment and we even do to make a perfect understanding of what the judgment so that's Frank Davis. He's chairman of the MPP Legal Committee and um, speaking there in relation to that decision by the High Court sitting in Sekendi in the Western region. Lots of you are commenting on this. Lottie Jones goes to our Facebook feed and says, Can the MPP start complaining and bastardizing the judiciary because it did not go their way? Or is it the judge who sat on this case, not a Ghanaian? Evidence is a game. Let's think about Ghana small. Uh, Daniel Akpaliok says, Congratulations to the Honorable Member of Parliament for Jomoro. This victory is not just for her and her constituents, but for entire Ghanaian population. At least it would increase the number of minority members in Parliament to hold the incompetent President Akufado's government accountable. That's a message from Sandema. And uh, Jones Kobe is seriously worried about what's happening at the World Cup, and he says African teams always disappoint. Uh, that's something that we're focusing on on Thursday when we meet our own competitors there. Uh, Jones Kobe says, uh, Mendy has a poor judgment. Uh, these are people who are interested in what's happening at the World Cup. We'll be bringing you that and more. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Eno Safo. We'll return shortly with more, including what the teachers at the colleges of education are doing. They've gone on strike and they're still on strike. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra around the globe on citynewsroom.com. And who has some stories? Yes, former President John Dramani Mahama says the harsh economic conditions in the country have affected even the volumes of offertory paid by churchgoers. John Mahama, who was speaking at the 175th anniversary Thanksgiving service of the EP Church in Ho, charged Christians to spread love and show concern to each other during this time of economic hardship. You are stubborn, you are greedy, you are selfish then you don't deserve to be called a Christian. We must always spread Christian love, especially in this time when money doesn't like noise, where we all agree that times are hard. This is the time we must show our Christian charity by loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so whatever lesson you have to share, you should share with your neighbors. I mean, we could tell the hardship in the system from the appeal for funds. Uh, when it was 2000, uh, Madam Chair, Ahmed and a few people came and donated. Then it came down to 1,000, then to 500, then to 100, 200, and 100. And then when it got to the silver collection, one CD, two CDs, ah, the place was full. <laughs> it shows that the pocket is not too good, you know, but we appreciate even the one CD you put in, the two CDs you put in, is very much appreciated. It's appreciated. You heard a former president, John Dramani Mahama. Away from that, trainees of the Nation Builders Corps are backing calls for the removal of Finance Minister Kenufariata from office. 
Some Ghanaians, including the minority in parliament, have mounted pressure on the minister to resign with immediate effect. They blame the minister for the current economic woes of the country and have been insensitive to the plights of their members. They're also concerned about their unpaid arrears and want President Takufuado to resolve their problem before the festive celebrations. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF, and we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let's talk about fisheries industry now. There's an imminent demonstration, according to the fisher folk, and this has to do with some problems they have in there. The acting president for the Ghana National Canoe Fisherman Council is Nana Jojo Solomon. He's joining us on the line. Nana, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, my brother. I know you have several challenges in the sector, but which are the ones that have uh, forced you to come out publicly and say that you're going to go on a demonstration? Well, um, thank you very much, and uh, um, good evening to your cherished listeners. In actual fact, we are not planning a demonstration, but... um, Listening to the feedbacks and the signals and the vibes coming from the various regions, you know, they are asking leadership to allow them to embark on demonstration. And uh, I believe that we've also, ever since this uh, premix issue read its ugly head, we've been in several meetings with the sector minister. We realized that the issues at stake Away beyond the minister's, uh, you know, uh, jurisdiction, and therefore we are together with her, trying from the presidency to the uh, minister of finance, you know, to get the issue resolved. So it is not as if we do not know the effort the ministry is putting into the. But again, uh, a fisherman can only take. The hardships, so much hardship, they can't you know, go beyond that. And therefore, we are also on interface as leadership. We are the interface between, you know, the policy makers or the regulators and the uh, officials themselves. Therefore, you know, it gets to a point we need to be very blunt and then uh, uh, inform the authorities that fishermen, we can no longer hold the fishermen at an arm's length anymore. And if that it does happen. I don't think uh, it's augur well for. But the fault is not with the minister. We are together with her, trying everything possible. But it's way beyond there. It's way beyond there. So we are asking her to, you know, let us have an audience with the presidency, and then see what we can do. Uh, the president can do for us. So what? Are... I think it's a lot. Mm. How many months? Four months. Almost four months with that premix. What when you say without premix fuel, what does it mean? I know that you have these landing beaches and you have the premix um, committees. The premix is not there. The premix is not there. Yes, the committees are there, but you know we are buying we are buying premix from you know uh, you know from regular uh, uh, petrol. You know. I, I know you had this structure where you have tankers that are dispatched. I think is it from Bost or Tor, and monitored by NPA, they bring the product what? to your committees. That doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't happen anymore. That's what I'm saying. It's, it doesn't happen. There's no premise in the system for almost four months now. And it's because we've had series of meetings with the minister, with the deputy minister, with the premise committee, you know, back and forth, back and forth. We are doing everything possible. But we realize that uh, 
it is way beyond, you know, this now should be placed at the doorstep of the presidency. And that is what we want to seek audience with the president ASAP so that, uh, you know, the, you know, needful, you know, uh, you know, thing could be done so that fishermen, now we are getting fish, but we're not getting uh, the premise world to, you know, you know, and that is a source of worry to all of us. We've never slept on it because the, the, the minister is delivering, honestly, she's delivering, but this premixed fuel issue is beyond that because it is MPA, Ministry of Energy, Finance. So it is really, really, really out of. But she's doing everything possible. But we're not getting the, uh, the answers. As I speak right now, I, we do not, as industry, have any, you know, concrete you know, explanation or answers, you know, for our fishes. And they are getting agitated day and day out. Volta region is calling, Western region is calling. The pressure is mounting. Okay. Now, when you say there is no premix in the system, that sounds a bit interesting. Is yeah, it the case that the BDCs don't import premix at all? Tor doesn't exactly. process yeah. premix. They are not processing for us at all. So Ghana doesn't have premix Fuel. I don't know whether it is it is an absence of premix or it is due to you know uh, a financial you know I I do honestly you know uh, maybe 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 uh, Minister of Energy MPA should be able to answer some of these questions. But as far as I'm concerned, as an industry industry person working with the Ministry of Fisheries, you know they do not also do premix. You understand? It's energy and NPA, and they are not getting the product because, you know, the BDCs are not prepared to supply. Let me put it this way. They are not prepared to supply. And the industry is suffering. Fishermen are suffering. Can you imagine buying one gallon of petrol, super, at over 70 cities? You, you buy oil to mix it up. And then you embark on uh, expedition, and there's no guarantee you will land fish. So, so that's what you have to do now. You have to buy petrol and mix it with oil. Yes, and it's not anybody, everybody who's able to buy the super in the first place. So there are only a few canoes or canoe owners who can afford are now embarking on expeditions. And those who fall out of the way because they are not getting fish, you know, fall out with huge, you know, debts here and there. And it's, it's a source of worry, you understand? The, because when it does happen like that, then... You know, national security issues at the various landing beaches become also another problem to, to, to grapple with. The outboard motors in your canoes, yeah. are they not, uh, you know, done in a way that they only are to accept premix fuel? If you put this petrol cum oh, oil no, no, no. in there, is that not adulterated? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And then you get the kind of uh, two stroke. Uh, 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 blend of uh, uh, petrol that, you know, the airborne motors uh, or two-stroke engines use. And before the coming in of uh, introduction of premix fuel, that's just what we're doing in the past. But in those days, it was affo- affordable. But now, you, know, you can buy super and go and buy engine oil, all at very high cost. The and, premix and fuel was, was subsidized for you by the government. I believe this one that you're buying now has no government subsidy at all. Not at all. Not at, you just walk to the uh, full uh, petrol station. You buy what you can. You buy your engine oil. You blend it. You know. We know the fishermen have the 
the street uh, ratios, you understand? You know I'm how sure. to mix it up. Yeah, you know, they do. The committees that are the landing beaches that supply you this premix, are they paid by the government for being there? or they Nobody are paid? is paid. It is, it is, they are co- committees that are formed out of the fishing communities to just hold forth and uh, uh, ensure that fishermen are... So they are all fishermen. So, so, the so, is, so they are not paid? No, they have... They, 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 do I say pay? I'm asking pay that because pay. I want to know what they are doing since they've been redundant for the past four years, uh, four no, months, no, no, and no, whether no, they are being paid. No, no, no. They, 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 are, they are not selling premiums because, you know, it, 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 it's a job. But it's just that uh, there's a commission that is given to the chief fisherman and the committee that, you know, because definitely you stand there. But they are all fishermen. They are all supposed to be fishermen. All the landing beach committees are operated by fishermen at the landing beaches. What's the, so way, forward, what's the way forward for you? Is this demand to meet the president, if it doesn't yes, happen... the way forward is meeting the president. Have you been given any assurance that you meet him? Not yet, no. no. So in the interim, what will you be doing? We are buying uh, uh, super, but then, you know, like I'm saying, the agitation keeps on mounting and mounting, and it gets to the point we can no longer hold them back, and that will be another issue. It is something we are trying as hard as possible to avoid. Okay, how about the premix uh, secretariat? You have premix secretary, don't you, or is it administrator? Premix. We have premix secretariat, and we have a premix committee. And there's a premix so, administrator. Yes. That structure, have you tried to communicate with them? We have been I, I have been in several meetings with the premix uh, administrator, the premix committee chairman, the deputy minister, the minister of Fish, uh, minister of fishes himself, even a, a colleague from uh, uh, the inshore sector. They do marine as well, but called Diama. Uh, he joins us all the time. We're trying to get this issue resolved, and I, I'm telling you, authority that. Uh, you know, uh, put it on record that uh, the case is beyond the minister. Because after so many, so at least about two, three months of deliberation with the minister, the deputy minister, we are not getting anywhere. So, so clearly it is beyond the minister's effort. What does this mean to our fish, fish production and the requirements on the market? One head pan or head of, one head pan of fish now is over 1,000 Ghana cities. Fish ordinarily that will cost about 150 cities, 200 cities is now 1,000 cities. Yeah, because he goes to buy, you no know, premix is 10 cities. You buy super 70 cities plus plus engine oil, almost 80, 80 cities plus per one gallon. And so the fisherman will just, you know, transfer this cost to the consumer. And I don't think it is fair enough, but they don't have any choice. Terrible indeed. Uh, thank you so much for speaking to us. You're welcome, sir. You're welcome. Uh, that's the acting president of the Ghana National Canoe Fisherman Council, Nana Jojo Solomon. The problem with the fishing industry. Nilante Vandapoy is member of parliament for Ododododio. It's a fishing constituency. It's a constituency that has fishermen, fisherwomen, fishmongers, etc., you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. This complaint that we are receiving, as a member of parliament from a coastal constituency, I believe you would have also 
receive this um, this this request or complaints. And uh, what is your understanding of the situation on the ground? Because we are told that you even made a statement on it in Parliament. Yeah, Sandra, it is it is horrible. It's bad. The situation our official folks are in now is unbearable. Some of them are dying because some of them have taken loans from the banks and also these small uh, microfinance institutions, thinking that the fishing season will bring them some little bit of money to pay back these facilities. Unfortunately, their dreams have been shattered. And just as the president said, they have to struggle, find money, borrow money, get people to give them some little loans, go to the filling station, buy petrol, buy diesel, mix it, go to sea, and when they go to, they don't get a fish. So end up coming back more distressed and more stressed than they were before. The situation is bad. It is not only in Accra, but from the Volta region to the Western region. Everywhere. I recently went to Kukubide, Otiano, Oshie, and East West. I'm having reports from Winneba. It's not good. What, this cough, the same. Azim, the same. Everywhere uh, fishermen go to. You know the fishermen, they move from one place to the other when they hear that the fishes are there. And the reports we are getting, it's just too much. And that's why we all contributed to the debate on the floor of Parliament. Unfortunately, the minister could not give us any encouraging words. She couldn't. She herself, you could see that uh, she was at a loss. Because all that she was saying was that efforts were being made by the bulk distribution to be able to get the mixes well and be able to supply. And so very soon, how soon, she couldn't tell. What efforts were being made, she couldn't tell. So you could you could say that uh, they don't have a plan, and they don't have any any plan at all to be able to relieve the suffering of our, the mass of our fishing community across the country. How are they surviving? I mean, you have a population that depends solely on what comes out of the sea, and if it's difficult <laughs> to go to sea, then there will be consequences, Sander. wouldn't there? Sander. The reason why MPs, we are much annoyed and talking about it, you know, the one who made a statement himself, is not too much on the coast. He's an inland MP. You understand? They also suffer. When you go to Yeji, you go to uh, Salaga, you go to all these places, Yapekosoku and all Afram Plains, North Afram Plains, South, you come down to the Volta region, you come down to Eastern region, throughout to Greater Accra and to... Western, central and western is bad. So the pressure is on us now, the MPs. Because you see, the way our policies have gone, everybody thinks the MP has a solution to every problem. So even situations like this, the fisher folks will put pressure on you, the MP. I have twice gone into my pocket to provide for them to be able to buy the fuel and go to sea. And when they came back, nothing happened. Just before my father's funeral, I was expecting to get some fish. So I had no uh, option but to try and support some of them to go come back so that I could get some fish for the funeral. Sander, it's what we call in our gun palace, word dodge. 
Fiji go be. They are singing. There is a song they are singing now. Nana telo, nana tewo, nena lo, antele song. It means that they are not getting the fish they have to get. Minji antele. Small, small fishes. That's the song the fishermen sing now. Yeah, they are singing now. It's bad. Things are bad for them. They have no hope. They don't know when they are getting the premise. In fact, the, the, the issue is even worse, Sander, because of the smuggling and the hoarding and profiteering in the system. This government keep on telling us that they are putting up systems that will make sure there are checks uh, to avoid profiteering, to avoid smuggling, and other things. But it's worse. Their apparatchikis are selling the fuel at exorbitant prices. The few that come in, they will hold them, they will transfer them into barrels, and then they will take them away from the, uh, what do you call it, the pumps they have at the coastal be- uh, uh, their stations, their landing beaches, and take them home. They sell it to vehicles, they sell it to other. If you are a fisherman and you want it, be prepared to buy it at three times the cost of the price. Well, um, I think we'll leave it here for now. Thank you so much for speaking to us. It's a pleasure. That's Honorable Edwin Neil and Tevandapoy, his MP, NDC MP for Ododododio. Nana Abrokwa Asari is the administrator of the National Premix Fuel Secretariat. Nana, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Sander, and good evening to all your listeners. Our fishermen are crying. Members of parliament representing the fishermen are also crying. Apparently, they've even coined a song for the president uh, that when they go to fish, they don't really get anything. And the, to the heart of the issue is the lack of premixed fuel. They say for four months now, they're not getting the product to fill their, their outboard motors to go fishing. And they are having to resort to buying expensive products. What is the problem? Thank you very much, Omaru. Um, thank you. Um, the situation is uh, quite unfortunate. Um, we understand the plight of the, the fisher folk. Like um, the earlier speaker rightly said, Nana um, Jojo Solomon, um, the minister, that is Honorable Mavis Hawakumsin, has been working round the clock to, to, to solve this problem. You know, but let's put on record that um, we wouldn't have been having this discussion at all if the subsidy was not even there at all. Um, we are having this discussion because of the subsidy. Um, and if you look at the subsidy rate, the subsidy is very huge. A gallon of premix fuel today is sold for 10 cities, um, 40 pesos. And um, ordinarily, our super, we know what has happened in these few years. In fact, in a year, the, the price of um, super has tripled. You know, and to put on record, premix fuel is mean, it's about 95% um, super with a bit of engine oil. You know, so um, anytime fuel prices are increased, it also increases the subsidy rate. And you realize that it's becoming a bit difficult for the BDCs to also pace up with the um, ever-increasing price of um, super on, on, on the market. Um, but if the honorable member for the studio says that um, it looks like the ministry is not doing anything about it, I believe it's a very unfortunate statement. Um, we are doing everything possible to, to reverse this challenge that we are, that we are, we are facing. Um, I must begin that as I speak to you now, 
um, cabinet has even signed a memo for us to use um, condensate. I think MP and then Ghana Standard Authority has, have, have realized that we can actually use um, the byproduct from our actual gas plant um, in the preparation of this premix fuel. So instead of relying on um, fuel or super form, importing fuel into the country, we can use this um, condensate to, to prepare premix fuel. Because the subsidy is, is very, very, very huge. You know, like Jojo said, now currently fishermen are being forced to buy the fuel at the original cost. If you don't have premix fuel available, what they do now is to go to the filling station and buy it at the normal cost without the fuel subsidy. This is not what we want for the fisher folks. The government is still committed to ensure that at least they subsidize the fuel for them and to go to sea. So we've been engaging all the relevant stakeholders. We've been talking to the BDCs, um, NP, talking to the, the council, because the BDCs are also complaining. In fact, um, a year ago, um, if they had 5 million cities, they could buy more fuel. Today, that same money is not, not the same. They're also attributing some of their losses to forex losses, you know, because they buy in dollars and then they are paid over a period of time. So we also understand the plight of the BDC. Then you may recall that recently Bank of Ghana even began the, the supply of foreign exchange to some um, BDC. So I think what is affecting this whole premix for distribution also has to do with what's happening on the global uh, market. We know things are not the same. You buy, you pay more for a fuel today than you did some time ago. So the fishermen then sort of understand the current situation that we find ourselves in. And like I said, the minister is working um, around the clock, she's always meeting the relevant stakeholders. We know that even though we are responsible for the supply of things for that budget being forced with the Ministry of Energy. So she's engaging Ministry of Energy, engaging Ministry of Finance to see how we can now resolve this problem. What was the arrangement with, with between government and the BDCs in relation to the premix? So they bring it in, we pay them at a point, and how come they can't simply continue with that business? The BDCs basically are responsible for importing the fuel into the country. And when they bring the fuel into the country, let's say if ordinarily they should sell the fuel to the fisher folks at, the, let's say, um, 2,000 CD, they reduce it. Government takes, let's say, they sell it lower than the price. So they sell it, let's say, about 1,000 cities or let's say 500 cities. And then government ends up paying the BDCs, what we call under recovery. So they don't sell the fuel at the full cost. They sell it at a subsidized rate. And currently, the subsidy is close to about something 70%, 80%. Like I said, the subsidy is huge. 10 cities against, let's say, about 100 cities. So government is incurring a cost of about 90 or 80 cities per gallon, which is very huge. So government later on pays these BDCs that subsidy rate, what we call under-recovery. And that is paid over a period of time. You know, and you know how the dollar and the city has been behaving in recent times. So sometimes the government pays BDCs in three months or four months. Uh, there are times where these BDCs will also lose the value of the money because the dollar may have increased in that three months or in that five months' time. So these are the challenges uh, that we are facing. Previously, when the, the city was very stable, uh, these BDCs were not incurring losses because if government pays them, the, the value is still the same. They can still go and import fuel into the country. Not long ago, so we know this Ukraine-Russia war. Most of these businesses also get fuel from um, on this country. So all of these factors are also affecting the work of the BDCs. Like I said, wouldn't have been wouldn't have been having these discussions if the subsidy wasn't there. Our normal fuel, you realize that the prices keep increasing because all of these factors are also affecting our normal fuel. But we are not. People are complaining, but it is available because the price has been increased. So you go and buy. It 
other costs. So even though we've been affected, you and mm-hmm. I have been affected by all of these economic factors, we end up paying for it, you know, because you are buying it at that full cost. But unfortunately, with premium for because it's subsidized, when these factors come into play, it becomes a bit difficult uh, for things to be normal. So government is simply not able to, you know, get the money to catch up with the dollar so that the BDCs will be taken care of, and that's why the delay is happening. It's all part of the reason. All these economic factors of outline is affecting the supply. So let me understand. Your point now is that um, while government waits for that to normalize, and I'm referring to the CD and the dollar and the cost of crude oil, you are contemplating um, using the byproduct from Atuabo gas plants to feed yes, of course. The, the outbound waters. really far advanced with regards to that. The uh, National Authority just performed a series of tests and realized that the outbound motors will perfectly uh, be able to use the condensate, which mm. is available here in Ghana. But we don't uh, have an idea how soon that would start, uh, the distribution uh, of that product will start. As, as recent as last week, uh, there was a meeting on Friday, and the Minister of Energy met with uh, the officers from Matuabo Gas Plant. Um, I'm yet to get the feedback from that meeting, but plants are really far advanced. Like I, as I speak to you now, um, Cabinet has even approved a memo uh, for that to be used. So that is going to go a long way to help us because we have that product in Ghana, and um, this dollar and this forex losses will not affect um, and this product, which 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 we believe would, would go a long way to help us in the condensate is, is used. Hmm. You know. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for your time. That's uh, Nana Broca Asari. He's administrator of the National Premix Fuel Secretariat. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And please stay with us because there's more coming your way. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. The F- Minister of State in charge of um, the Finance Ministry, Honorable. Charles Edubwahin was sent out of government last week. That was abrupt. That's not all. NDC MPs and MPP MPs have been demanding for the removal of the main minister at the finance ministry, Ken Ofriata. He's been going through censure proceedings in parliament, while there are reports that some 98 MPs on the, ND, on the governing party side have said they're not going to hear the minister when he appears to present the budget. All these things put together do not look good for the Ghanaian economy. And there's a publication in the Herald newspaper today attributed to a former chairman of the Finance Committee of Parliament and MP at the time for New Job in South, Koforidua, Dr. Mark Esibe Yeboah. The story suggested that he had said that there would be need for the president to have some more time to restore normalcy and that it will not be and not so many words, suicidal, it will be suicidal in not so many words, uh, to remove the minister at the same time that the minister of state has also been removed. Let's understand exactly what his advice is for the government in relation to this quagmire. Dr. Makosibi, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yeah, thank you. Now, the demand for Ken of Riata must go has been there for a while now. Charles Edubwahin's removal was a bit abrupt, uh, unexpected. It happened the time it happened. Now, the budget comes up this week. You were saying that the plan by the MPP MPs especially uh, will not work well for the government. Share more, please. Um, uh, uh, Sander, uh, for starters, the budget has already delayed 
according to the Public Financial Management Act at 921, the budget shall be presented to Parliament on or before November 15th. Uh, as we speak, today is 21st, tomorrow 22nd, so the budget has already been made by a week. Uh, the idea behind presenting the budget before 15th November is that you would give Parliament about six weeks to really consider the budget before it passes because the extent of work that goes into passing a budget it's a lot. And so with that in mind and uh, suggestions that the budget could be presented on Thursday, then you come to think of the fact that uh, MPs are saying the minister will not be heard. I don't think it bodes well for the economy, more so considering all the issues that we are going through. So mine was just a plea that why don't we hear the minister get over with this budget into his passage, pass the operation, and then all the other uh, house matters, if you like, uh, can be considered later. So you're sounding like what the president said to the MPs. He asked them to give the minister some time, but he was not referring to budget alone. He even talks about the IMF program, that the minister be allowed to go through and then he can bow out. That is your position, too. And, uh, uh, Sandra, uh, uh, the president's plea was agreed to by the MPs. As a matter of fact, the majority caucus issued a statement on Wednesday, 26th October, saying they had met with the president, and this was the outcome of the meeting. And then we were told that they were to give the minister time to see through the budget and other ancillary matters. So I guess there was some form of understanding at the time. Only for us to uh, hear last week that uh, there was a new call to boycott the presentation of the budget as it were. And so uh, if there was some tacit agreement, why are we going back on our word or why are we trying to uh, torpedo the, the, the presentation of the budget? But does it matter, though, who presents the budget? The budget is the president's budget, not Ken Ofriata's budget. So the argument for persons who want him out is that even if he goes and the budget is presented by anybody else in the government, it will still be the president's budget, and the president will put someone in charge of executing that budget. Uh, we, we are confusing matters. I have not touched on whether he goes or he stays. That is not part of my plea. Uh, now... Your plea is that he shouldn't go now, isn't it? No, I'm saying that if you you say on Thursday you are not going to let him present the budget, then it's going to cause further delay. Now, it is true that it doesn't matter who presents the budget, but are they suggesting that somebody else presents the budget so that can still cease to his execution? Because when the budget has been presented, it's going to be debated in Parliament. I debate the time the ministers are supposed to be in the house to answer questions that come up. Thereafter, they have to go to committee to uh, see to the approval of the various estimates that go to the MDAs, and then also to uh, uh, see to the passage of the appropriations. So I don't know, uh, maybe 
I'm not uh, getting their sense well because I did think that, yes, he doesn't come in to uh, read the budget, but then he still sees to his budget. In any event, uh, <laughs> the PFM says that the budget shall be presented to Parliament. What we have done in the past is to uh, invite the minister to come read the budget. The minister can just come, know that I've presented the budget without saying a word. In other cases, you don't have to come read the budget as we do it. You don't need to. So presenting the budget is not this, uh, the same as reading the budget. We have uh, uh, we have uh, uh, made it a ceremony. Yeah, you know, you don't have to read the budget. You can just present it to the house because the presentation is an abridged version of the whole budget. So it's only portions of the budget that's read. And you can decide not to read the word, and the budget should have been presented to Parliament. So what is the part about somebody coming to read or somebody else reading and all that? Okay, so what would be your advice to the President then if you were listening to us tonight in this particular demand by his MPs and also the, the budget that is hanging in the balance? Yeah, that's why he met with his MPs and I think there was some form of agreement. So why are we uh, uh, dragging it? It's the economy that suffers. You know, my interest is in all of this is how we restore the economy to normalcy. As to whether I can see another day two or three, I, 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 I don't really... Hey, I'm saying hey, let's get the budget presented to change the budget presentation on the person who's going to present it and all that. I, 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 I think uh, we are expecting matters too far. If we're running the parliamentary system of government, what is happening now would have passed as a vote of no confidence in the minister by his own MPs. Would you no, say that he should... Because in the parliamentary system then uh, the vote of no confidence would be on the president or the prime minister. The prime minister. But for now, I'm just using it uh, advisedly that it could be a vote of no confidence in the finance minister. If you were to advise, would you advise that the minister continues to stay? Uh, Sandra, I think I had, some, I had some conversation with you in the past. You asked me and I said that the prerogative of the president. The president appoints, he disappoints, and so if he thinks that he should stay on, so be it. But I, I don't want to get into those matters as to uh, ministers staying on or There have been a stretch of the conversation suggesting that you will be the next Minister of Finance. Has that come to your attention? Have you been invited to be the next Minister of Finance? Not yet. Would you take up the job? Um, I think um, when we get to that bridge, we'll cross it. But for now, my interest is not in uh, the minister being stand or I'm not after the minister. So I'm just saying, in the midst of these IMF negotiations and with critical matters going to be captured in this budget, let's get this one sorted. You know, okay. uh, come Christmas time, we would have passed the appropriations bills, yeah? And then thereafter, when we have all eat our chicken and all that Christmas will come back in the new year and if the president so decides that he should go uh, so be it. It's interesting you mentioned us eating chicken. Are you sure we can really eat chicken this Christmas considering the economic situation we are facing? Uh, I will draw chicken. Put something else in there. <laughs> Let's leave it like that. I think it's better that way. Thank you for speaking to us, Doc. Sure. That's Dr. Marcus Ibeyeboa. He is former member of parliament for New Job in South. Uh, he was the chairman of the Finance Committee of Parliament.
when he was there. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Up next, Michael Ogbodu will give us some more business uh, stories before we go for Point Blank. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get into the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Lubudu. Let's settle for the details now. The Director of Research at the Institute of Economic Affairs, IEA, Dr. John Kwache, has added his voice to calls for government to use the presentation of the 2023 budget to revise the rate of the electronic transfer levy from 1.5% to 0.5%. This, he notes, will make it cheaper for more Ghanaians to contribute to it and avoid evasion. He made the call at a press conference in Accra. It has failed because people say it is a multiple tax. A new sum starts. So, if you live up to this expectation, we will be generous to say that they should increase it to 0.5%. That's a big generous. I've heard the telecommunications and there's an authority. The NCO. The NCO. You mean NCO? No, 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 I'm not talking about NCO. That's a government agency. I'm talking about the telecommunications. Exactly. Yeah. They are advocating that this inflation will increase to 0.1%. So that's why I'm saying we are being generous to say that let them bring it down to 0.5%. You see, because when you do that, there's something in economics called that if you raise tax rates, eh, a lot of people will try to evade the tax. So in the end, you collect less tax. <laughs> that's not exactly what is happening. So what I'm saying is that you bring it down to 0.5%, maybe you get small people, you know, pay you. So that is the, the revenue organization side. That was the Director of Research at the Institute of Economic Affairs, Dr. John Kwachi. Meanwhile, a recent survey by auditing firm KPMG has revealed that a cross-section of businesses in the country want a review of the electronic transfer levy, import duties and the petroleum levy. According to the report, which was based on a survey of 100 leading businesses in Ghana, revising these policies in the 2023 budget will help alleviate the current economic hardships. This comes as the Finance Minister, Kendo Foriata, is tip to present the budget for next year on Thursday. Andy Akuto is the head of advisory and markets at KPMG and he has been providing more perspectives on the findings of the report. If you talk of e-levy, it's not like generally we didn't get a sense that it is important, but the question is, can it be adjusted downwards uh, to probably get it to if you like the pre-e-levy regime? I'm not sure about the numbers, but I believe since its introduction, there's been calls uh, for its adjustment uh, severally. So that is not too surprising. Petroleum levies is something that should come to us uh, as not a surprise because clearly everyone is feeling the pinch. And especially for uh, industries and um, businesses that are located in areas where the energy supply is not so reliable. You can imagine buying fuel to to supplement or augment their resources and its impact. So again, that is something that uh, government ought to pay attention to. 
We can also talk about, um, for example, the import levies. <laughs> Most importers are crying. Andy Akoto is the head of advisory and markets at KPMG. Now, Professor Ebo Texan says government must implement variable policies to promote Ghana's agribusiness sector. He maintains the lack of policy direction has compelled industry players to prioritize traditional exports rather than seeking to add value to local agricultural produce. Professor Ebo Texan urged government to streamline policies with the One District, One Factory initiative to boost the agro-processing business in the country. I mean, because of the failure of our policy, we tend to have to concentrate on our traditional exports. So we could go, go giving a support for these, these two commodities. But if we, and the reason why the government has failed has been really because our culture policy has not been, has not been paid attention to, and industrialization has not been a key focus of government policy. Now our focus is more on services. But if you talk to industrialists in this country, they will tell you that all they need from government is to improve the business environment, to do the cost of doing business and they'll be able to do these things. I agree that the one D one S is the way to go. So if it to be devoid of any political coloration and all of that, we need to pay serious attention to that intervention called the one D one S because it is at the center of what we call import substitution industrialization and export promotion. Our reliance on imported goods is because we do not have local alternatives. And if we really have them, they are much more expensive than imported ones. So why don't you reduce the cost of doing business in this country for the businessmen? I mean, we said that they are setting up a national development bank. That bank should focus on agro-processing industrialization, giving credit to SMEs that show the potential of adding value to our food products. So- Meanwhile, reacting to the Bank of Ghana's decision to withdraw forex support for the importation of some food items into the country, Professor Ebo Texan said local producers must take advantage of the signal and build their capacities to meet demand. We can decide in this time that our currency is not being able to hold on its own to prioritize the issuance of forex for the importation of selling goods. Most countries are doing that. Now, of course, whatever the policy is, it's going to take a while to kick in. So, I mean, I'm sure that by the time we import rights and imported rights for the next six months. But I think that the signal from the central bank, apart from the fact that it's going to also uh, ensure that we are not taking out too much of our reserves to support such purchases, and to give a clear signal to domestic producers that now there's a market being That was economist Professor Ebu Texan. And still on the matter, the president of the Ghana Union of Traders Association is also calling on government to come clear on the timelines in which the directive given by the Bank of Ghana to cease forex support for some food items imported into the country will be implemented. According to him, goods which were procured but are yet to arrive in the country before the directive was given should receive the necessary forex support from the Bank of Ghana. This, he says, will prevent harsh shocks to businesses. Some of the items which will no longer receive forex support from the Bank of Ghana include rice, 
vegetable oil, toothpicks, pasta, fruit juice, bottled water and towels. President of Guta, Dr. Joseph Obeng, has been speaking to City Business News. We want to appeal to government and um, uh, Bank of Ghana is to make timelines because we are not saying that the goods that have already been procured, we are not going to pay because we have already procured them and we, we, we owe our suppliers. And so how are we going to get the, the money? So we have to make the timelines. If you are saying that new import is what we are not going to give um, um, the, the forest, uh, that, that is okay. But it's not what has already been established and, uh, uh, and brought uh, where people are liable to uh, redeem their indebtedness. And this is what we are talking about. And that they should provide the timelines um, uh, for this. We have to have in mind also that most of these traders in these commodities are the potential investors in this new project because they are going to migrate into the local production. So you do not do anything to destroy their, their capital. You do not do anything to discourage them, even in this industry, but you coerce and then encourage them to uh, metamorphose from the excessive importation into the production for which they have the capacity. These people in this industry have a huge capacity, more than most of the locals here and all that. And so um, our investment law should also be tied up with the same where we discourage uh, people from trading. That was President of the Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Guta Dr. Joseph Obeng. The minority in parliament is advocating a review of government's planting for food and jobs program to make it more efficient. This comes on the back of the introduction of the planting for food and jobs market by the government to help cushion Ghanaians and mitigate the impact of rising food prices on the market. Commenting on the policy, the ranking member on the Food and Agriculture Committee of Parliament, Eric Opoku, called for appropriate interventions to also help curb importation and stabilize the local currency. We want to see very concrete, sustainable measures that will bring down food prices in the country. You know, whenever poor prices go up, it also affects food because you have to transport the food. Now you are cutting plantain and you are saying that you are paying for the transport to make it cheaper. What about other food items? Now, if this is the approach to bring down food prices, Christmas is approaching and people are also complaining that X prices have gone up. So minister will be selling X. Is that the case? No, let's be realistic. It's too shallow. So the first thing we have to think of is how we can produce enough to feed ourselves. Because if we are unable to produce the quantities that we demand to survive, obviously we have to import from other countries. And when you are importing, the exchange rate becomes a very good measure. And so that is the first challenge. So I was expecting that the government would look at how to stabilize the exchange rate, how to bring it down so that some of these uh, imported uh, food prices will also come down in the local market. So what mechanisms are we putting in place to arrest that? If you want to subsidize agricultural products, you must subsidize production. The cost of producing these food items is very, very high. 
That was the ranking member on the Food and Agriculture Committee of Parliament, Eric Opoku. Finally, the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications says its industry members may have to increase their tariffs due to the present high cost of doing business in the country. Already, players like telco giant MTN had earlier announced an increment in their data tariffs but have since postponed the date of implementation. This comes at a time where utility tariffs are up, fuel prices have skyrocketed and inflation is at an all-time high. Speaking to the media, Chief Executive Officer of the Chamber, Engineer Dr. Kenneth Ashigbe, justified the anticipated tariff increment, arguing that many sectors have already taken the lead in adjusting their prices upwards. Well, you see, as an industry, as an industry at the Chamber, one of the things we don't discuss is pricing. We don't talk about pricing, so I don't know what uh, individual members will do. But if you consider the fact that the cost of doing business have gone up, even the Water Producers Association have met to increase uh, the price of water. Even uh, you know the, the market women have. I'm, I don't know uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, media. Have you increased your advertising cost? I'm pretty sure you have also increased it. So naturally, what is going to happen? I'm, the industry has to increase prices because the cost of doing business has gone up. But the individual ones, I will not be able to talk about that. Of the Ghana Chamber of Telecommunications, engineer Dr. Kenneth Ashigbe. That's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, just powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obudu. Thank you for listening. As always, please stay safe. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Omaru Sandamado. Tonight on Point Blank, we are focusing on the organized labor sector or the labor sector, teacher unions who are on strike and so on. We start with the Colleges of Education Teachers Association of Ghana and the Colleges of Education on Teaching Staff Association of Ghana. These two groups started a strike last week. The strike is continuing. And it has to do with conditions of service. Let's see what the situation is, whether things have changed now or not. Prince Obinhima is president of the Colleges of Education Teachers Association of Ghana. Prince, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Umaru Sander. Since you declared your strike last week, have there been any overtures made to you by government? Yes, there have been a series of engagements. Let me use this opportunity to thank you for this wonderful opportunity and also thank uh, my members across the 46 public colleges of education, CETAC, and then the non-teaching staff who have resolutely stood behind leadership in all of this. And uh, I must say, last Wednesday, we attended a meeting chaired by the Minister of Education, Honorable Say Edichum. In the ministers' conference room in attendance, we had a fair with Centralized Commission, people from the Finance Ministry and all the other uh, people who are supposed to constitute the government team who were present. After almost four or five hours of uh, lockout, we couldn't uh, uh, come to conclusion, so we have to call it off. So that was where we were till uh, this morning when we received invitation from the minister uh, declaring intention to engage us. So just as we were preparing to go, a uh, little before 5 o'clock this evening, 
we had a letter or we had uh, someone from the National Labor Commission uh, asking us to appear before the commission on Wednesday. So as we speak now, leadership is locked up in a meeting, tight meeting, uh, seeking advice from our council as to what we make out of the minister's uh, invitation yesterday, I mean tomorrow, vis-a-vis the National Labor Commission's uh, summon uh, that is on Wednesday. Why are both you and the non-teaching staff striking? Are your issues aligned? Yeah, the issues are aligned because uh, when you look at the conditions of service, for instance, what we finally agree or what they give to SETAC serve as a baseline for determining what is also given to them. That is the non-teaching staff. And I must say that we work together. We do be in the classroom, uh, I mean, uh, doing the teaching. They also play a lot of important roles behind the scene that keep us going. So this auxiliary role they play, I mean, make them and us be in the same situation. That's why we think we are in the same boat. We have to swim together. We need to think together. So our issues are similar. Now, the meeting you are expecting that your a solution would be found. Um, what are you going to the table with? For the table, I mean, when we met with the minister and uh, it appeared the government team had taken a trained position and uh, we were thinking tomorrow's invitation to the minister uh, by the minister will be able to as it were, have some compromise. But this new development uh, about an hour ago, the technicality of uh, we appearing or having a meeting with a minister when we've been summoned before the National Labor Commission as to whether we wouldn't be in contempt for, uh, as it were, seeking to do that arbitration without the, the, the expert permission of the commission. It's something we are seeking, uh, you know, advice from our council to see whether we should even proceed to attend tomorrow's meeting at all. So we hope that uh, the events that will unfold tomorrow and uh, Wednesday will help us to make clear determination as to the, I mean, pronouncement on the feet of the strike. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Extremely grateful to you too. That's Prince Abinhima. He's president of the Colleges of Education Teachers Association of Ghana, CTAG. Still talking about strikes, some teachers and students at the Accra Technical University have called on the government to pay attention to the demands of Technical University Teachers Association of Ghana, TUTAG, before academic activities resume in January next year. TUTAG has declared an indefinite strike over conditions of service which include fuel allowance, vehicle maintenance allowance, off-campus allowance, among others. According to the teachers, their demands have been on the negotiation table since 2016 without being attended to. Speaking to City News, some staff and students say though schools are currently on vacation, the situation may impact negatively on academic work if the strike is not called off before school resumes.
From the Technical University Teachers Association, let's move to another group. Organized labor is expected to meet the government tomorrow to continue negotiations on the proposal for a 60% increase or increment in the base pay of the single-spine salary structure for 2023. Thomas Musa is General Secretary of the Ghana National Association of uh, Teachers, NAT. Thomas, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you. Good evening to yourself and to all your listeners. Good evening. The government has announced that from January, people who work would be earning at least 14 cities, 88 pesos a day, which is what we call the daily minimum wage. You were saying that because of that announcement, you should also have an increase in salary? Okay, so thank you very much. Uh, I, if you look at the, the, the law setting up the both the, the national daily minimum wage and the base pay, they are two different things altogether. And so when you negotiate the issue of the mini, daily minimum wage is negotiated by the the tripartite committee under the, the labor law, that's section 113. But if you look at the base, it's negotiated by the joint standing negotiating committee with the government. That is it. And it is not because the single, uh, the national uh, minimum with minimum, daily minimum wage has been increased. And so the, nas- the national, uh, the base pay also should be increased. The issue is this. Before we started the base pay, we need to understand that the, all the public sector workers, all the institutions were negotiating on their own until 2010 when we were all brought together on the single spine. Now, when we started on the single spine, if you look at the level 10, the level, level about 10% about the national daily minimum wage at the time when we started it. Today, as we are talking, it is clear that that particular gap between the national daily minimum wage and then the base pay has been wiped off. Why is it so? As far back as 2010, the relativity ratio was 1.7. And the understanding of that and the policy setting up the structure indicates that within a period of time, there should be that kind of 3% that will bring it to 2.0 to close that gap. But between 2010 and 2022, that has not been done. Then in 2014, you know, the base is supposed to appreciate every month, or, sorry, every year. But in, 20, in 2014, we went in for COLA because of the economic challenges that confronted the country at the time. And because of that economic challenges, we went in for the COLA and the base was not touched at all. And so in 2015, it, uh, the base was increased by 30%. If you look at that 30%, technically speaking, it was 3%, 3% because earlier on, that is 2014, we were given a cola of 10% and the base was not touched at all. All attempts to get that particular item, that particular base gap uh, to be recovered has, has proven unsuccessful. Then we came to 2021. 2021, it was 4%. 2022, it was 7%. So all these things cumulatively have eroded all the gains and all the gaps that should have been covered. And when we, do, when we did the calculation, it all came out to 60%.
And so we did a paper based upon that, and same was presented to government. And it must be placed on record that the issues we are dealing with here is about human security. And if you look at the national security document carefully, human security is an integral, is an integral part of the security of the nation. And so we realize that we've gotten to a stage where every year uh, organized they might be told that they, we, we are in this, we are in that, we are in that. And the gap also keep on widening. We think this time around, we have to get it corrected. Very well. That is why we presented the picture as it is and how we should be. And that is how come we have the 50%. Very well. well. We'll follow you tomorrow to see what the outcome of the meeting is. But thank you so thank much you for, for your time. Thank you very much. God bless you. That's Thomas Musa. God bless you too. General Secretary of the Ghana National Association of Teachers, NAT. And that's how we end tonight's edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. I did this with Eno Safo Production by Sixtus Dong Ulo and Fred Teti Jabano. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. We're also supported by the new media team at CTFM and CDTV. They were bringing us that live Facebook feed from which you were listening to Eyewitness News. Thank you and uh, have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.